Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. On Tuesday, December 6th, 2022, Joanne and Chuck Wilson spoke to the Sarah Club of North Columbus. Here's that talk. Enjoy. Well, first of all, we're just so happy to be here and hearing about the, I'd say, n another effort for vocations. And um, that was totally good news today. And um, of course, we know priests come from families. And so, you know, by, by helping families to better nurture the possibility of a vocation, um, that's kind of what we're about today, is sharing our story. And, but I want to share, first of all, that a vocation is a mystery. And we will just be sharing with you our experiences. But we know that God has his way. There's not one way to form a vocation. That's really impossible. And there's not one family way that is the best way. Well, of course, a holy family is the best way forever for all things. But it's really a mystery. So today we're going to be sharing just our experiences and our perspectives along the way. And we really hope that there's a takeaway for each of you that's not just about us and our family and our son, but that there's something here for you that you can bring home and help to make your life better and also to nurture vocations in your midst. Well, to begin, I thought we would share a little bit of our background, because background enters into our son's vocation. Um, we were married 51 years ago in Cincinnati, and Joanne came from a wonderful, holy Catholic family uh, from Cincinnati, and I came from a wonderful, old-line Protestant family from New England. We met in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, what journeyed Joanne to Atlanta, where she was an airline stewardess with Eastern. And what brought me to Atlanta was I was a lieutenant in the Army during Vietnam, stationed at Third Army Headquarters in Atlanta. Um, we had a good friend, mutual friend, Dennis Riley. We didn't know that. Uh, Dennis was a lieutenant going to Vietnam. He had never asked me to do anything with him, except one night at the officer's club, he said, would you mind going to this party, a departing party or going away party for me. So I'm going to Vietnam. And I didn't ask him who's hosting it. I knew nothing about it. I said, sure, Dennis, I'll support you. Because I was very much involved at that point in the Army uh, with the next akin notification officer and other things that was bringing the bodies back from Vietnam. So I knew going over, anybody going over, and if you've served, thank you for your service, was in danger. So I said, Dennis, I'll be there. So I went to it. I didn't know where I was going. I arrived, and who op I opened, knocked, and who opened the door was Joanne. And uh, it was her and her other two roommates who were both airline stewardess, and one of them, Mary, was dating Dennis. So that was the connection. Joanne and I met six months later, we were engaged. A year, within a year, we were married. And uh, there's a lot to that story, but I'll move that, <laughs> I, I, I'll move that forward. 
Our first year and a half was in Amherst, Massachusetts. I went back to graduate school and uh, had a small company up there. And Joanne had two years of college and um, on an invite, and a priest helped her with that, she interviewed with Eastern in between going back to college. And that's how, at 19, she became an airline stewardess. So with that in mind, we're up in Amherst. Joanne took her junior year of college. But what happened in New England was she entered into my space, the Protestant space. And it was nine generations on both sides of my family. Wherever she went, uh, that's what she was introduced to. Uh, but fortunately, she was formed, as uh, Lauren mentioned, with the priest and the nuns, Catholic schools, and uh, we couldn't sell Joanne over to the other side. Yeah. So then a year later, uh, after a year and a half in Amherst, um, we came to Columbus, Ohio 50 years ago. And um, I joined a company, Wilson Floors. Everybody thought I was the owner of it. So it was a good fit. And uh, But my brother's roommate from Brown had just taken over a family business, and I joined them. And uh, that brought us to Columbus. And Joanne's going to talk a little bit about, well, when we came to Columbus, Joanne one year left in school. She could have gone to Ohio State, tickets, everything. <laughs> she chose ODU because they accepted all her Catholic credits. She could graduate in a year, and she graduated with Father Wilson. Pregnant with Father Wilson. <laughs> Well, the next years was just very busy, busy years. As Chuck was moving up into the company, eventually becoming president of Wilson Floors, we were involved totally in the social world. We had small children. We had we were in Upper Arlington, where I think there were 40 children in the block and a half on Dune Road where we lived. So that was uh, my busy time. I was a mother at home, but I was also very active in the community uh, with Junior League, Childhood League, uh, Buckeye Boys Ranch, the parish, you name it. We were out there. And um, so those were the years, uh, secular years, good friends, um, but... Um, not what God had in mind for us. Well, the first question somebody might ask, when did I come into the church? And um, after seven years, I had never thought one moment, and I don't boast on it, that I, I should become Catholic. It was never even a discussion. Joanne never asked me one time, would you be interested in becoming, looking into the Catholic church? Her parents never asked me, and I never inquired. They just prayed <laughs> three rosaries a day. And, uh, but one, one night I came home, and I was entertaining customers all day at Muirfield, took them out for drinks afterwards, got in late, and Joanne was bedridden. And we had already had two miscarriages, and she's thinking, we're going to miscarriage this baby. And I knew at that moment I had abandoned my wife who had two small children at home. At that point, it was Father Wilson and Emily. And I knew I needed 
a correct a course in my life. I needed some direction. And then the next morning, I saw Father Ken Grimes. And first time I ever visited with a priest, first time we even talked about it. And within a day, he said, you're ready. And within that week, Joanne uh, recovered, thank God. Chad is 44 today. But thank God she recovered. She was my sponsor. I received the three sacraments. They did accept my congregational ba baptism. But she, I received the three sacraments. I was it. I didn't really know what I had said yes to, <laughs> but I knew I needed help. Well, five years later, it came why I said yes. Joanne uh, had read about a marriage encounter. Now, when I read about a marriage encounter in the bulletin, I thought we just had the perfect marriage. And it was not a problem. If you would have asked me, we were, you know, practicing, we were, we were just fine. <laughs> so, but what I wanted was time alone with my husband. And so this was a perfect excuse to go away for a weekend with Chuck. And we had it all set up, babysitter, everything. He was free for that weekend, which was unusual. And so we're about ready to head to our marriage encounter at St. Therese. And I had packed my golf clubs <laughs> because Columbus Country Club I had played before. And I packed my running shoes. And I said to Joanne, I don't boast on this. If these people look strange, <laughs> we're out of there. We're going to go to Cincinnati. If they try to hug me or anything, we are going to Cincinnati. Well, anyway, the Lord had a different plan. And that plan was we stayed the whole weekend. And during that weekend, no, that's all right. During that weekend, it was a transformation for myself and for Joanne. Such transformation, it was a major, major, what I call um, upper room experience. Hear about people being conversions. This was a reconversion to what Catholic was. And it was such powerful that at the end they said, would you like to become a team with a marriage encounter? <laughs> so now we've gone from not thinking about coming, why we're coming, to the point where we couldn't wait to say yes and to go on a deeper weekend. But over the altar, if you've been to St. Therese Church, is a large mirror of the upper room with Mary and the apostles. And it's beautiful. And the saying under it in large letters is, they were all persevering with one mind in prayer with Mary and the mother of Jesus. And this was the first time in our 12 years of marriage where we were persevering with one mind in faith. And we were invited and accepted to go to Terrytown, New York, which we did, and that was another deeper conversion and so forth. And that allowed our family to become freed. It was really a miracle that we got there because he said, let's just go to Cincinnati and have our own marriage encounter. <laughs> He was going to take me to the best restaurant, and uh, we even stopped and had a drink before we went in because we wanted to just talk about it a little longer. <laughs> but, you know, 
probably the theme running through this is little yeses in life and the great blessing that can come from little yeses, even if they're given for the wrong reason, which my reason was just to get away with my husband for a weekend. And as you heard Chuck share, God had an amazing plan. And I think they asked us to be to go on that deeper weekend and be team because we were crying the whole weekend. And so I think they thought, boy, something's happening with this couple. And they were right. Something was happening. And so that we we kind of looked to that weekend as a true beginning in our marriage but also in our family life, because it wasn't just about us. We were transformed. We, we had a lens to see our own love, that marriage is a threesome, and that we really desired to also bring this to our family. And so our priorities changed, slowly at first, but um, our friends changed. And, you know, I guess we weren't as fun anymore. <laughs> we were a little too Catholic, and we just wanted to share the good news about, have you made a marriage encounter weekend? <laughs> and uh, so that's just the way it was, because we couldn't deny it. But we really desired, and I don't think we fully understood that word. We do now, making your home another Bethany making your home a place that really our Lord is welcome there. And that's a time for refreshment, a time out for everyone in your home. And that, that, was, our, that was our desire. And as far as Father Wilson, he was like 10, I think, at that time. So he remembers. He re he's got a very good memory, unfortunately. <laughs> He remembers the before and the during of our deeper conversion. And um, I just want to share that, because uh, I know we're interested, of course, in the priest, that, you know, he was always just a, um, just a normal kid. He loved sports. He was an altar server. We never missed mass. That was never an option. And um, just a balanced academic good guy but what we really wanted to instill in our children and we'll give you some examples of how we did that without even a master plan it was just having faith a priority now in our family is that um, we wanted our children to be able to hear God's voice in their life and not just our own and we did not, as I, one of my sayings, I still say it, is that um, we didn't want them to be influenced by us. We wanted them to listen. And we didn't want to share any, you know, credit for their choices. But we sure didn't want to share the blame. So if they, you know, to say, oh, this guy would be great for you, for my daughter. Oh, he'd be wonderful. And then she's miserable. <laughs> guess, who's, guess who is the blame? Same for priesthood. You know, he 
because I think he, he was always just a good guy, of course he might have had a vocation. But that was something we wanted our Lord to tell him. And yet, we wanted our family life to be one where faith was truly the priority. And so it happened. Not easily, because of, of course, sports. That's the big one. And because of work and just things, better things you could, better things you could do on a Sunday than really carve it out and say, this is, this is our day. This is a day of rest. This is a family day. And we would say, you know, family fun day. And try to make it enjoyable, not just, okay, now we're going to sit around because it's God's day, waiting for Monday. <laughs> but some of the examples was little things, just like when they were going off to camp, stopping at Cary, just making a visit there at the shrine. And just, you know, of course, the big one was uh, Medjugorje when we had an opportunity to go as a family. And I had gone first, again, for the wrong reasons. And my 40th birthday, I, I just wanted a trip, and my aunt and uncles, my sister, and Chuck was more than supportive. Oh, I was happy to see Mary, don't get me wrong. But I, but I, I can't say I was on this very religious pilgrimage, but God used it in a special way because then Father Joe Losh, who was our spiritual director, really, without the word, um, when he invited us to go back the next year as a family, we said yes. And again, that was another yes. And personally, I thought I had had my experience. I was there just to tag along with the family. But again, God had more in mind, even for me. And I think as Joanne talked about Medjugorje, um, that was really the moment where I think our whole family were united. I mean, it was one thing to say, we had the marriage encounter, things changed at home, but this is where we really were together as a family. And Ginny was only seven, was seven and Jonathan was 15. So it was like taking four children. My parents thought we had really gone off the edge to a communist country <laughs> to see the Blessed Mother or be around the Blessed Mother and to understand the messages coming out of Medjugorje. So with that in mind, uh, there were certain things that happened. And one was this, um, it, it was, yeah, the life and the spirit. Well, Father Joe, uh, said afterwards, right afterwards, would you like to take your family through life in the spirit? I said, Father, at this point, anything. That sounds good. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but we did it over the Holy Family uh, feast day in January. He prayed over all of us, and there was a gift given to each of our children, even at those ages. And I was amazed. We cannot underestimate God's power, even with young children, and so forth. Uh, so that was just a wonderful experience. And then the following year, he said, would you consider having your home enthroned to Jesus? This is 1991. 
And at that point, we were pretty well set on where Jonathan was going to go to school, Father Wilson, Notre Dame, had been accepted. And, um, and I said, Father, sure, we, we will be open to the enthronement. So he came over, prepared us. The next week, we witnessed uh, our enthronement. It was wonderful. And uh, not knowing that we'd ever day be involved with the enthronement someday, but it was just wonderful for our family. And then Father spoke up. Well, it was during the enthronement, we weren't even sure what that word really meant, that Father Joe Losh, how many of you knew Father Joe? I think he's a saint. I do. I really do. He was so wonderful in his quiet way, loved the Holy Spirit, loved the Lord. But here he's this quiet priest, and he opens up our front door, and he, his voice gets very strong, and he says, Satan, leave this house, and you can never come over this threshold. And we were like, whoa. I said, I said Father, I didn't know he was here to leave. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he was here all right. <laughs> Coming back to knock at the door. But uh, another memory I have that is a special one, which revolves around Father Wilson, is his friends. And as he was becoming more, I think, open to faith experiences, he, when we were very encouraging, he was uh, part of Young Life, which is an interfaith group. So we offered our home for meetings, and we, you know, would have chili for them and, and that kind of thing. They'd play basketball, our basketball hoop and that. But it became, um, we didn't take us too long to realize, instead of helping these young people go back to their faith traditions, as far as the Catholic tradition was concerned, in our experience, they were leading them away from the Catholic faith. They were challenging them with all those questions, Mary and the Pope, and they really were not equipped. And part of that was our fault and the school's fault, that they, they were just like taken back. So, um, so we left Young Life, and part of the I would say replacement, but another opportunity was what we came up with was called CCP. And CCP happened in our basement, lower level. <laughs> and CCP was something um, we made up, the names. It was Christ, Cake, and Prayer. And so he would say to his buddies, you know, are you coming to the CCP? And they did. <laughs> And the guys, it was all boys, they came to our basement, had to have that cake, but they said a rosary, and they shared, and I have no idea what they shared. That was their private time. But if you talk to these men today, they still have a very special place in their heart for the CCP. A couple other things. Uh, he had a great friend, Frank Dury. They were... St. Agatha, then at St. Charles, and Frank came down with a terminal illness. And um, his junior year, he passed away. But before Frank passed away, he was our son's really good friend. They were close, and they both 
really a lot of prayer was going on between them. And uh, they were the anchor for each other during this time. But there was a healing mass actually at St. Paul's. And I forget, this was back in um, junior year, would have been 91 to 90, yeah, probably 91. And uh, so we invited the eighth grade class of St. Agatha come to our house. And afterwards, we'd all go over to St. Paul's to this healing mass because all his mother wanted Frank to do is to be able to have peace. And he did not have peace with what he was facing. And uh, so we went over to St. Paul's. Well, at that point, it was in the old church, I guess the second church, and we got there late. No place to sit, and meanwhile, we got the whole eighth grade class. Well, the Lord reserved the choir space. Nobody was in the choir space, and the whole eighth grade class filled it up with Frank, with his mask on, and they went down. Each one of them got prayed over, and Frank got prayed over. Frank's mother, Joan, who's now passed away, had shared with me at the first day of school that Frank was just really in a dark place. Having graduated from St. Agatha and moved on to Watterson and St. Charles Public Schools, and he felt abandoned by his friends. They came at first, but he had a pretty long journey of leukemia and, you know, and treatments and all that, and he was more than depressed. And I can remember her saying to me, you know, if Frank could just have peace, I think I could let him go. But he, I am so angry with his uh, student, your know, fellow friends from St. Agatha, because they've left, you know, they've abandoned my son. And it was like, oh, wow, I think, I think my son hasn't really visited him now as regularly. And don't you know, there was a flyer right there in the cafeteria of Father McDonough, who had a healing ministry coming to St. Paul. And the, the other really miracle of this, and what's important to share about this, is that the eighth grade class experienced a miracle. The miracle, first miracle, was we had a car that was going to go ahead and save places for the kids. Well, it broke down. The car was on the side of the road when we were going. Now, cars just don't break down today. So we were like, oh, no, he's already depressed. Now he and his mother are going to walk into St. Paul's, and there's going to be no place for us to sit. He's going to be all alone. It, I, I can get nervous just thinking about it. But when we walked in, there was this whole section empty. And I said to the you know, person there, well what, well, what about that? Oh, I don't know. That was for the choir, but they're, they're not singing tonight. It was perfect with the class fitting in. That was, I knew, a miracle. And the other miracle was Frank was healed, not of his cancer, but he was healed in his spirit. The next day, <clears throat> he lived across the street from St. Agatha, and we were dropping off Jonathan for basketball practice, and here's Frank walking across the way with the biggest smile, no mask, 
the biggest smile, and he died in peace. And he died in knowing he was loved. And I, I know everyone in that class, they knew, they knew the story. And they knew that they had said yes to showing up with Frank and keeping in touch better after. So you see, it's also about our children experiencing miracles. For us pointing out to him, this isn't a coincidence that happened. That, that car on the side of the road, part of that was so we could know that God was with us, saving our places. It was a wow. And I think these are illustrations of how we worked with our children, but particularly with Father Wilson all the way through. Then it became Youth 2000. Then it became college visits. Then it became to, he was all of a sudden going to Notre Dame, accepted. And then Father Joe said, would you consider Franciscan University? Well, through that discernment, um, you know, we went ahead and visited Franciscan, and it was that night for Jonathan and myself to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking of the time we were prayed over uh, when Father Michael Scanlon started to walk down at Mass with 650 students. So between that, he chose to come to Franciscan, not because of that, but it was his decision because he felt that was a better alternative than going to Notre Dame. What's that? The candle. Well, we're running late. Do you want to hear about the candle or should we move on? <laughs> when we were discerning with our children, all of them, the right school for them, faith was always a uh, factor because it was really our money that they were going to be using for the most part. So we always felt we did have a say in where they were going. But being open to, we visited actually nine, nine campuses. But so he, you know, always dreamed of going to Notre Dame, and we did too. So when we went there, it was just he and I for that one. What I didn't know until about three weeks ago, he shared this in a homily, that um, he had lighted candle at the grotto. Because I wasn't with him. He was with friends. He was going to classes. And I was kind of doing my thing. And he asked the Blessed Mother, should I go here? You know, is this where you have for me? I've always dreamed of going here. And that's an example of helping our children pray and have their own, their own prayer communication. So he lit this candle, and he just shared recently, he came back and all the other candles were going, his was, his was blown out. <laughs> and so he kind of was taken back and thought, well, maybe this really, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not supposed to go here. <laughs> and that was just one of many signs he received. And uh, so through that, he ended up at Franciscan University, and uh, the rest of our children ended up going there also, meeting their vocations. But I think I just want to add, one of the things that we were big on was stories, faith stories around the dining room table. And we always had groups coming over to the house, whether it came from men's ministry, women's ministry, Catholic radio, wherever it came from, 
to really let our children hear these stories because part of their growing in the faith and going and, and using that as their own faith is the power of stories. And I think this is where, um, you know, we, we have understood the house of the Bethany as Joanne talked about with that. So in closing, Father Wilson ended up deciding after Franciscan, he was gonna teach at a Dominican uh, school in Virginia. I was accepted to be a teacher there. He had all the honors background, everything. Well, I had a different job. I had a problem with an investment in Morgantown, West Virginia, and I needed someone to give me one year that I could trust down there to figure out what was going on. Now, there went Father Wilson down to Morgantown, West Virginia to run a carpet store for me to figure out what's going on. And I said, just give me one year. I need you for one year. And he said, yes. And I think at that point in time, through that experience, he got connected with a wonderful priest. I think his desire to become a priest increased actually in Morgantown with even all the issues going on with that store. I think he saw the power of prayer working. And one day he told me, he said, Dad, if Mike ever resigns, accept it immediately and drive down and see him. And he was the manager, Mike. And uh, Father Wilson had left the store to go for lunch and said, whatever is not of God needs to leave that store because he knew we were in trouble. And when he got back, he heard Mike on the phone resigning. And that was a moment, I think, for him to see the power of prayer. So through that, he ended up then going to a new order, Coriezu, which was starting in Rome. He studied in Rome. He went out to Denver with Archbishop Chapu. He was, the religious order was continuing to see if it's of God. It ended up not being of God, but it was a wonderful year. Uh, they were living in a old convent, uh, there were 20 of them, and with no heat. So uh, we came to visit them one time, and Ginny at that point was probably 11 or 12. Well, Ginny saw a switch in the basement, turned it up, and it was heat. They all had the best rest that night, and uh, the next day they turned it off. But usually it was frost on the windows and so forth. But uh, and he had to beg for the food. So it was humbling for us to see our son every day going to the grocery stores without any money, organizing how all the seminarians were gonna eat meals. And they kept begging, and he all of a sudden, deliveries were being made every week to the seminary, to where they were staying in the convent. So it, it was really something. Um, we're gonna, we're going to talk, let's talk a little bit about the takeaways, Joanne. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I hope what you understand, this was not like our plan. <laughs> Nothing was our plan. It was all providential. And what we did in helping our son was to make faith a priority. And, but also to allow him to have his balance of life, to be out, because that's where he was also going to grow in the world. It wasn't going to be just at home. He needed to be in the world. And uh, so when he chose to say, I want to go to Denver, and then eventually saying, if I'm going to become a diocesan priest, 
I'm going to come back to Columbus. And he came here to the pontifical for two years, was ordained. He was the only one ordained in his in his in the diocese that year. So we were blessed. We had the whole cathedral. We could we, we could invite all of our all of our friends. I mean, it was a great party. And uh, we didn't have any competition. But no, you don't want that. You want multiple uh, <laughs> priests being and uh, so forth. And that's his journey uh, a little bit. And if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, boy, did I blow it. You know, <laughs> I've said that many times over many subjects. Don't be discouraged. That's what the evil one wants you to think. You have a new day every day. And as we say, life is a book. And maybe you've had a few chapters along the way that you'd like to rewrite. I have some, too. But this is an opportunity for you this day to take it and to just make the most of it. And if we're talking about vocations, you know, pray for vocations. And many of us have grandchildren. We have 20 from ages 23 to 1 to Ginny and Matt are ex expecting their 10th in March. So there's a lot of opportunity for Chuck and I to impact our grandchildren. And how do you do that? First of all, by praying for them. And there's many ways to do it. If you're giving gifts, give something that has some meaning. Like uh, one thing I love are um, nativity puzzles. Because each piece, you know, they, they put it together and it's the holy family. And I, I, we don't do technology, <laughs> so that's, that's, a, that's great for us. We don't even understand it. We don't want to understand it. But, but we, you know, if you're going to give them a coloring book for a child, give them something that has Jesus or teaches about the sacraments, not Disney. And it's, it's hard. But, you know, I, I know because... Our children are, of course, now almost middle age. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And if your grandparents, you have a certain, I don't know, you're allowed. They can excuse grandma and grandpa for being holy. <laughs> Be holy. Make a difference. Step out. And even step out with strangers. You know, this enthronement that we witnessed and allowed in the 90s totally has made a difference in our lives, and our family life. At the time, we didn't realize it, but looking back, we know our Lord keeps his promises. And those 12 promises are real, and you can depend on them. And they happen in his way, in his time. But, you know, you have, to, um, you have to receive it. You have to be willing to say yes, that little, little yes, but say yes. Because that is what he wants for all of us. He wants holy families. He wants holy priests. And there's not one way, but it is a good way. You know, 11 years ago, we, we heard about the enthronement at a Legatus meeting in Florida, and someone said the key to the family today is enthronement of the Sacred Heart. And for some reason, we were nudged that way because we saw what it did to our family. 
And so we had the opportunity to meet with Father Stosh daily, and then for 11 years, we have been promoting the enthronement of the Sacred Heart. And now our daughter Emily is the executive director, and we have the Sacred Heart Hour program. Um, on the back of your prayer card is Welcome His Heart. Why this? Why this over men's ministry and St. Gabriel and women's ministry and the different ministries we've been involved in? What we saw was over 25 years, over 40 years, it was getting worse. The family was under attack more and more. And the only thing we found is Jesus is the answer. When we go in and witness an enthronement, we don't enthrone their house, they enthrone their house to the king, brother, and friend, and savior, Jesus Christ. It is now Jesus' home. And as Father Stosh Daly said, he will rearrange the furniture. So I think as we end, that's one thing we'd like to leave you with is no family is perfect. Our family's not perfect. I know um, that we just went to a healing service at St. Paul's for three days. We can still use healing at our age. You know, everybody needs healing. Well, what greater way to heal the family is to bring Jesus in as the king, brother, and friend. And that's the key that we've been given. I think Jesus gave us back in 1630, but actually back with St. John, uh, when John put his head on the breast of Jesus and got all the wisdom. That's how John could stand everything, according to Father Stosh, all the way through, and then the piercing of the heart. And our hearts need to be pierced so that we can have the Lord's heart penetrate him. That's all he wants. That's all this is about. So I think as we conclude at this point, we just want to mention that Father Wilson's vocation is all providential. We planted the seeds, but it was up to him to say yes. But you have vocations, whether in your family or in your friends, and if you take that prayer card and do one thing, say, hey, this prayer means something to me, I wanna give it to you. Let Jesus help that family, even if it's a prayer card. And on the back of your prayer card, there's the website, welcomehisheart.com. So as we've just touched on it, you can go to that site and get more information and sign up for the newsletter. It'll come every month. It'll inspire you. It'll help you renew your sacred heart, love, uh, fan the flame. And I, I just want to share, it's time to risk. It's time to step out. And we were in New England this summer. I brought a stack of cards, and they're easily available, more cards. There have been thousands and thousands of those cards printed that are now circulating the globe. But I had 21 encounters with strangers along the way. And maybe because I was in a strange place, it was easier. But I was so amazed. There was only one person who looked at me like, this is a crazy lady. <laughs> but I, I could give a talk about the people I met, the waitresses we talked to, that, you know, well, extraordinary. But it's because of risking and just saying, you know, 
would you like a card? Let me explain to you why this heart's on the outside of the body, because it's a teaching. It, and it's not going into St. Margaret and Mary, especially. I don't know if they were, you know, Christian or not. But everyone took the card, and several as I was walking away, they read the prayer. And for some of them, like the 84-year-old artist, when I was at her art show, it might have been the first time that she read this prayer and that adored Jesus through the words and also thought about her own death. That, you know, it just made me so excited. Lord, it's up to you, but use me. Help me to get beyond myself. Well, again, uh, uh, Bill brought the sign, Sacred Hour. It's been on now for eight years. Why we have it on First Friday is get to Mass on First Friday. Why? Because the Lord asked us to be there on First Friday. Reparation of our sins to our Lord Jesus. The times we have offended him, the times others have offended him, it's to be with Jesus on First Fridays. And then we say nine, but no, that's a lifetime. He wants us to console him. So that's the reason we have it on First Friday. That's the reason that St. Gabriel continues, to continue to remind the listeners, get to Mass on First Friday. And then we're on from eight to nine. Uh, you can go on the archives, but it's really the Holy Spirit, but Father Stas Daly is a gift. And now he's up here, rector of the college. So, so I think, and then we got to close. <laughs> this is really the last thing. <laughs> because it's not just about um, enthroning your home. It's about enthroning, helping young people to enthrone their dorm room. It's also about businesses, which we've witnessed many business enthronements, and then heard afterwards what happened when they gave their business to the Lord. And also, parishes. St. Paul formally enthroned the Sacred Heart after nine months of preparation. So it wasn't just a quick ceremony hanging a picture. There was homilies. The people prayed this prayer after every Mass for nine months. So when it happened, their heart was in it. And I know it, my son's the pastor, but I say, I tell him, honey, you took the lid off the box. You allowed the Holy Spirit to come and new things to happen. And as we know, our parishes are also struggling, especially after COVID. And sometimes there's just not, they, those priests, those people, we need fire set underneath us. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus brings. So if you're a parish, I think every parish, can, you know, be a little open to enthroning their parish, go to your pastor, come to us, uh, you know, we will go with you to just say, hey, how about giving it a try? And this is solid. This is in the heart of the church beautiful encyclicals and history. This is not in competition with any other program, any other apostolate. It's simply allowing Jesus to come as king, brother, friend, and savior in a new way with extra graces. So that is my last, <laughs> I promise. Thank you.
pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O God, you have constituted your only begotten Son, supreme and eternal priest, for the glory of your majesty and the salvation of mankind. Grant that those whom he has chosen ministers and dispensers of his mysteries may be found faithful in fulfilling the ministry they have received. Now the Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless each of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.